Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. This is your host, Spencer Martin, and this week we are talking about a little bit of Ineos Tour de France drama eight months out, uh, a little bit of transfer news, and uh, kind of the strange, strange, I get encouraging yet strange news around NTT's new sponsor and a little bit of news coming out of EF, the t- team EF Education First. Uh, but first, if I just want to say, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash btppod. And thank you for anyone who's already done that. I uh, got a great coffee purchase from Tim in Wenatchee yesterday with a fantastic review. So if you enjoy the work, feel free to head over and do that and leave a review. There is also a newsletter that you can sign up for to support the podcast. There's a free and premium edition. Just go to beyondthepeloton.substack.com and sign up there. If you enjoy, if you're listening to this podcast and enjoying it, you're going to love the newsletter. So at least sign up for the free one. You will enjoy it. Uh, so let's just get into this uh, this new, not news, just chatter about Enios And the free newsletter I sent out this week went through pretty much every GC leader Enios has and really breaking down like who, who is going to lead the team next year. This is the biggest budgeted team in the sport. And they kind of have this odd issue of, of not having that many, I, I wouldn't say they have any grade A Grand Tour contenders, especially with Egan Bernal suffering from his back injury. We'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, this team two years ago looked like the most unstoppable collection of riders on the planet. I mean, then they had young guys, they had like old guys like Froome and Garrett Thomas. Uh, Froome wins the 2017 tour, Garrett Thomas wins 2018. Egan Bernal, who was significantly younger, like 15, no, maybe 14, 13 years younger than those guys, wins the 2019 tour. They bring in Evan Sosa, who is another young Colombian rider. It looked like they were set, like they had everything covered, and then everything falls apart. I mean, but this is what happens in sports. This is why pre-planning is so important, because you know, Froome crashes, Froome gets old, Thomas gets old. I mean, this just happens. Like they should have forecasted, they should have known this was coming. It's just people don't really win Grand Tours after the age of thirty-four, thirty-five. Maybe they. I can't totally blame them for not foreseeing. Is this just rise of incredible superstar riders like? Tadej Pogacar, Remco Evenepoel, Joao Almeida. I mean, those guys just came out of out of the woodwork. So, and and they thought they had the hottest young riders, Bernal and Sosa. So, that I mean, perhaps they they do lean too much. I think, in my opinion, they have. There's one, uh, there's a one rider agent, Giuseppe Acquarone, who this Italian kind of super agent who shoveled pretty much any good rider on that team is represented by that one agent. And his career is basically just collecting riders and then sending them to Enios from ripping them out of contracts at whatever team they're in. He did this at Movistar. Uh, that's how Richard Carapaz ended up at Enios. And I think it leaves them a little exposed because that's how they totally missed guys like Tade Pogachar. Like they should have seen this coming. Tade Pogachar should be on Enios. I have no idea how they missed him. They could have offered him a bigger contract than UAE Team Emirates. Uh, it's completely ridiculous they missed him. Brimco Evenepoel, I, I don't know how they missed him. I mean, quick step, yeah, has the inside track because they're Belgian and he's a Belgian rider, but they should have been able to swoop in with a, with a big contract and lure him away. So I, if I could point to one issue as to why they find themselves in this strange position of being the biggest budgeted team with no clear star GC rider, 
it's because of their reliance on on one agent to really he he's like the one man it's a huge team they're they're really they have a huge budget they're uh they're like seen as like the scientific team with like a huge analytic staff but they really don't i mean they have tim carrison who is kind of a sketchy sports trainer they had a doctor richard freeman who's now in trouble for <laughs> to prescribing testosterone patches and then claims he didn't know that those were performance enhancing drugs so just basically claiming to be an idiot to get out of trouble or maybe he is an idiot and but they don't really have like good writer development. They don't even really have good talent scouts. They just have one guy who doesn't even work for the team. He's an agent. He works for himself, and they rely on him to funnel all the talent in there. So I think that's that that's probably where this began. These troubles began, and then they just had things like Egan Bernal emerges in 2019 as like the best young writer ever, and that he's going to be quote unquote dominant for the next ten years is what everyone was saying. But in 2020, I t- when I first started this podcast, he was like the hot topic. He was uh, coming over to Europe from Colombia. No one quite knew what form he was in. He was writing pretty well. And then he started to struggle as a tour got closer. And we found now we recently found out that it's, it's also hard to know if there's any translation issues going on here. But so what I read was he has a serious back issue due to one of his legs being longer than the other, which it's, it's, it's not super rare. That doesn't necessarily leave you with the back issue. Uh, but I guess he says he's developed scoliosis because of that, which is kind of pretty serious for someone that needs to ride a bike for a living. And then even more shocking that this has caused uh, like a disc to slip and sever a nerve that leads to his glute. So it's unclear to me why, if this was happening at the tour or before the tour, why he was even there. Uh, I would imagine he could continue to hurt himself quite a bit. So that whole Tour de France strategy, in retrospect, makes no sense whatsoever to me. I don't know why Ineos sent him there, knowing he was hurt, and knowing he could, con- could continue to hurt himself. Uh, th- that's absolutely ridiculous. And shows you that I don't think anything malicious was going on. It shows you that I think maybe the focus is slipping a little bit. Now, I mean, they've missed on these really good young riders. They've just completely passed them by. They have one guy out there finding talent and sending it to them. And they're making huge mistakes with team selection. I mean, I don't know how they possibly could have sent Bernal to the tour thinking that was a good idea. So, so that, yeah, it leaves this interesting situation where they're, they're like still by far the biggest budgeted team in the sport and kind of don't have a grade A rider to take on these new emerging talents. Like, Pogachar, or even guys like Ruglitz, who's in his 30s, but I would say is probably the second best GC rider in the world behind Pogachar. So Richard Carapaz, uh, I mentioned earlier that he left, his agent pulled him out of his contract at Movistar and sent him to Ineos. I heard that his budget or his uh, salary went from like 200,000 euros a year to 2 million euros a year. So I'm kind of a no-brainer move. You can see why he did that. That's great that he's making money. I think all these writers should get as much money as they possibly can out of the team owners. So that's great. Uh, but I kind of thought, I, I didn't quite understand the move. Like I understood, yeah, making that much more money is awesome. Like that's sweet. Please do it. Uh, but I thought he was going to be relegated. It's amazing to cast our minds back to 2019. And it's like, oh, Richard Carapaz is going to be a domestique. 
at Ineos. He's going to have to ride for these great riders. Flash forward 12 months, he's the only guy they have. I mean, Teo, we'll talk about Teo in a, in a minute. Teo Gegenhart wins the Giro, um, not a star rider on that team. And then Carapaz gets second to Ruglitch. A really good ride, really good ride. But he basically does it by himself. He had like no team support whatsoever. So it's like the complete, like everything's fallen apart for them just in the course of 12 months. We've gone from this incredibly deep, talented team where it's like, how does Carapaz even fit into this thing? To just Carapaz left. He probably actually wins that Vuelta if he would have stayed at Movistar. Uh, his old team was incredibly strong the whole race, just didn't have a leader that could finish it off. So that's the irony there. But yeah, it definitely leaves. I mean, they, there's a lot of questions hanging over this team. And to me, he's he came out this week and said that you know, he wants to be the leader of the 2021 Tour de France, which kind of sounds shocking at first. It's like, whoa, that's bold. There's a lot of good riders on that team. Who does this guy think he is? Then we actually, in the newsletter, apologies to the newsletter. I actually forgot to put Teo Gagenhart in the list. I mentioned him further down, but it's kind of a silly omission from me. But I list out their true GC contenders, and it's it's the team is not as stacked. It's definitely deep with talent, but as far as like perf- well Riders who perform well, not as deep as you would imagine. So we have Richard Carapaz, who won the 2019 Giro d'Italia, second at the 2020 Vuelta. And I almost think his season should have an asterisk because he was originally training to go to the Giro d'Italia this year to win it, to defend his title. I think he could have done it. He got pulled out of training for that at the last minute to race the tour. So he like races a tour not in the form he would have been if he was training for it. Had some pretty good showings. I think there was like four consecutive days where he was in the break on mountain stages. Uh, and then shows up to the Vuelta and just was, was fantastic. Um, he had, I think to me, the, his biggest weakness is the time trial. And he had a pretty good time trial at that race. So he, I, he showed me that he, I thought he was a one-hit wonder before the Vuelta this year. Uh, he showed me that he's pretty dang good and will probably win another Grand Tour in his career. But this is Team Ineos, Team Sky we're talking about. To think that their their A-level rider is a guy who could probably win a Grand Tour at some point is pretty shocking, considering how dominant they've been. So, And then we also have Garrett Thomas. Uh, he's a little tricky. I mean, he's going to be 35 next year. Thirty, like He would be the oldest rider in the modern era to win the Tour de France, a year older than Cadell Evans when he won in 2011. So just, just it's just not going to happen. I mean, just playing the averages. He, he actually looked fantastic in the time trial, in his time trials this year. Uh, he was terrible climbing at the Dauphiné. He got a lot of credit at Torino Adriatico for climbing well, but if we just look at the actual results there he got dropped by Simon Yates on really the only hard mountain stage of the race and Simon Yates is not at this point in his career not like an A-level climber so that's not a good sign and then he crashed out before we had any mountains in the Giro d'Italia so we really don't know how we, we it's just hard to get a read on his form from 2020 we know he was time trialing well but that doesn't necessarily translate to good climbing and if anything that could mean that his climbing he's actually a little heavier and a little stronger and his climbing is suffering while his time trialing is getting better so yeah I don't know I can't in good conscience say that he is like an an A-level contender at the age of 35 next year Um, yeah I I just don't see it Uh, Bernal yeah I'd believe actually yeah, he's a very good rider. I actually, if he was healthy, I still don't think he could win in 2021 because just because there's 58 kilometers of time trialing in the tour course, in the tour route, 
uh, and not that many hard mountain stages. So I think he's he's disqualified right there. He's a very good climber, not a very not a great time trialist. I mean, not even a decent. He's like decent on a good day. So, and with these back issues, I don't even think he'll be racing next year. I mean, I haven't heard anything specifically, but to come back from severing a nerve because of a slip disc, that's that's a serious injury. I, there's no way he can recover and then get in shape in time for 2021. Uh, Teo Gegenhart, who I forgot to mention in the newsletter list. Sorry about that. Uh, he's actually uh, fantastic. I mean, Teo actually really surprised me. I, I just thought he was kind of a like a super domestique. Maybe he'll win a Grand Tour stage someday, and he'll do a lot of work for other riders. I thought that was the course of his career. He lost tons of time in the first two weeks of the Giro, but looked fantastic in that third week. And the final time trial was he was legitimately flying in that thing, like putting out 450 watts, almost beat Wilco Kelderman, who's a time trialist specialist as far as GC contenders contenders go. So, yeah, oddly, I think Teo Gegenhardt's probably their best option behind Carabas. But big butt here, he's not under contract for 2021. So I uh, I don't know if we can count on him. I mean, just take just just take that for what it like take it at its fat at its face. He's not under contract. We can't assume he's gonna be back. So to me, that's still on the bubble. And then I mean I hear people saying Adam Yates, Richie Port, Danny Martinez, like those are not GC contenders. Adam Yates at this point in his career is not, maybe G, maybe that's a little harsh. They're not Tour de France contending winners. Uh, maybe they could get a podium at another Grand Tour. But Adam Yates, yes, he had a good tour ride in 2016 and has not performed well in the GC since. Like, it's just not, he got ninth this year, I think. That's pretty good, but that's not, Enio's good. That's not good enough for them. That's not going to win it. Richie Port, he got third this year, fantastic career best result, but he's going to be 36 next year, and he's going to Ineos to to be a team helper, not to lead. So it's just right there. He's saying it that that's probably as as good as he can do. Martinez has literally never had a result in a three week race, so you can't count on him. Pavel Sivakov, I am obviously his biggest fan. I'm pretty sure I cursed him before the Tour de France, but. He just doesn't, he's got to prove to us that he can get through a tour without crashing. He's in, got an incredibly, he's an incredibly strong rider, incredible talent, incredible motor. But yeah, he, I mean, he crashed at the Dauphiné and he crashed first stage of the tour. So that's not a good sign. I mean, I, I need to see a little bit more. I mean, he's certainly not a rider. Ineos could, could bet on winning. Maybe they could take him. I don't know. That actually, if, even if they took him, they're probably going to have Garrett Thomas Teo Gegenhart. I don't know. They'll have Garrett Thomas and Richard Carapaz. It, it would have to go. Things would have to get so weird. It would have to be like a Jai Henley at the Giro for Sunweb situation for him to even be in a position to be leading that team. Uh, I actually think uh, Philippe Ogana, it sounds crazy. Philippe Ogana and Rowan Dennis are probably, if you just lay out the odds, their two best chances of winning. Rowan Dennis was so strong climbing this year to tell you, like, well, like set a record up to Stelvio, which is one of the hardest climbs in pro cycling. So right there, we know he can climb. He's one of the world's best time trials as well. So actually for this tour route, he's got to be, I think he's their best rider. It sounds completely insane. Uh, and he has never shown like a temperament to be able to compose himself for three weeks. Uh, I think that's probably his biggest, the biggest obstacle there is just mentally holding it together for three weeks. I mean, he just left the 2019 tour because he f- was mad. He just like literally got off his bike and left in the middle of a stage. So not a guy you really want to count on. 
Philippe Ogana, I think he could be like one of the best uh, tour defense riders ever if he wanted to, if he really set his sights on it. I don't think he's going to be ready by next year. That That's just, it's a bit of a moonshot, but he's such a strong time trialist, like close to Miguel and Durain type power numbers. And he won a mountain-ish, mountain-ish stage at the Giro this year. So, I mean, that totally surprised me. Showed me that he's not just a one-trick pony. He could, he could probably win the Tour multiple times, especially if they stick with these TT-heavy routes with light-ish mountain stages. I mean, he could be unstoppable. So I think that leaves us with, let's just assume, let's throw out Ghana and Dennis for now. I, actually, I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if we roll up to the 2021 Tour de France and Rowan Dennis is a secret leader for Ineos. They're not saying it publicly, but he's there. And they're telling him privately just to not lose too much time. Just stay in it. And we'll see what happens. But I think their two public leaders are going to be uh, Carapaz and Garrett Thomas. They'll take both of them and they'll, they'll nominally support both. I think their two best Grand Tour riders at the moment are Teo Gegenhardt and, and Richard Carapaz. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think about that this big-budgeted team kind of has these two scrappy attacking. I guess not attacking. Teo Gegenhardt didn't really attack this year but like they're not the prototype for Ineos is just have a time trial destroyer who then kind of defends in the mountains not someone who has to get creative and make up time other places so incredibly strange to see them in this position uh I think Carapaz would win out on that for me just because he is he is a really really he's just like a warrior like a really strong fighter uh clearly he can race well over three weeks i mean he rarely has a bad day so it's it's just super he's just super impressive in his ability to ride consistently over three weeks over the course of three weeks um tail gegenhart yeah i mean he does he's never really shown me that and he did struggle quite a bit early in the zero so doesn't fill you with confidence but i mean he won the race so you can't argue with that he said but where this gets kind of Weird is uh, Ineos is courting Alexander Vlazov from Astana to join the team. Uh, he's a kind of a redundant. He's like a kind of like Teo Gegenhart, but better and a year younger. So that that's weird to me. That I mean, that's like there's red flags going up all over the place. Like Teo Gegenhart's not been re-signed. They're courting this younger, cheaper, rougher, but possibly higher upside rider instead. Uh, I mean, Teo Gegenhart, his earnings i mean he must be he's demanding he must be demanding millions of pounds a year now going from like hundreds of thousands so Ineos possibly is thinking do we really want to bring him back at let's say three million pounds a year or do we want to throw alexander vlasov a million pounds a year he's he's a higher upside writer he could be better than teo gegenhart i mean that seems kind of crazy and that's kind of cutthroat for a british squad and a bizarre way to treat a British Giro d'Italia winner, which it's got to be one of the only Brits, maybe the only Brit to ever win that race. And as far as the British Grand Tour winners, I mean, it's the, the last one might be, sorry, I forgot Chris Froome. Chris Froome used to be Kenyan. He changed his nationality to British. So he won the Giro d'Italia in 2018. So obviously there's been a a British Giro winner, but I think that's the last British Grand Tour winner as well. It's Chris Room in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, big deal that he wins a Grand Tour, and then it'd be really strange not to retain him. 
But if they haven't done it by now, I'm not quite sure what the holdup is. Uh, he could certainly make a lot of money. Someone like Trek Segafredo, they have no one. Like they literally have, they have Vincenzo Nibali, who just isn't able to compete in Grand Tours anymore. I mean, that Giro was perfect for him. There was no other riders with Grand Tour wins under their belt competing for that win, and he just got smoked. So, yeah, it's not going to get any better for him. At 35 years old, that's it. So they need to bring someone on. And an English-speaking writer with a lot of charisma like Teo could do really well representing the Trek brand. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're if behind the scenes they are offering him a lot of money to come over there. And that's why Ineos is getting a little creative with Teo replacements. Uh, <laughs> there's also a minor story about... Israel Startup Nation's uh, team manager saying that Chris Froom and Dan Martin could be co-leaders at the tour in 2021. Uh, at first glance, this is totally insane. I mean, Martin is by far the better rider. He got fourth of the Vuelta this year. Great result for him. And then Froome just got dropped on every day. So, I mean, the tour is far away. It's not that far away. Like, Chris Froome's not going to be anywhere near Dan Martin at the 2021 Tour de France. So it's crazy to say that they're going to be co-leaders. But... It's also Dan Martin's not going to win the 2021 Tour de France either. So you might as well just humor Froome, support him publicly. Everyone leaves happy. He tries to come back. It doesn't work, but at least you supported him. You get the goodwill. Uh, If Dan Martin wins a stage and finishes seventh overall, that's a huge win for the team. It's great for Dan Martin, huge for the team. So I, I think that's like a complete nothing burger of a story. But it did look shocking at first where you're like, God, like, and he was just saying Dan Martin just recently earned the right to lead the team because his fourth at the Vuelta. You're like, like that guy, he's the best rider on your team by far, like hands down. And it's, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what's going through Dan Martin's head, but I would be a little, a little frustrated that I was getting automatically slotted into second position on that, on that leaderboard because some guys coming in getting paid more money than me, not because of his actual results. I thought that was interesting. We'll just move on to NTT. Uh, it's, I don't know. No one, why would you know what NTT is there? They sponsor, obviously it's a pro cycling team. The sponsors leaving after this year because they're a huge Japanese telco company that made, they acquired dimension data, which was a South, which is maybe they're still around a South African like data analytics company. And they were the original sponsor of the team. They got acquired by NTT, who then uh, sunset that brand and took over the sponsorship, like inherited the sponsorship. It just makes no sense for a Japanese telco conglomerate to own a South African cycling team. Like they're getting nothing out of that exposure. Uh, I expected the team just to fold. I didn't think they could find a sponsor. It came out just yesterday or the day before that they're being sponsored by ASOS, the Swiss clothing company, which I can't imagine where they're getting the money to do this. I mean, these sponsorships are expensive. They're saying the new budget for the team is going to be 8 million euros, which will make them the lowest budgeted team in the world tour by a long shot. I, I guess if I had, if I was guessing, I'd say BMC, the bike sponsors do pay a lot of that. So a bike sponsor might pay like 5 million euros plus free bikes to sponsor a pro cycling team. And I mean, they have the other sponsors at charity. So I hope they're putting nothing in. That would be crazy if a charity was just spending millions of dollars to sponsor a pro cycling team. I hope that's an in-kind donation advertising slot for them that the team's giving them. 
but yeah, for ASOS even to come up with like 3 million euros a year, it just seems wild. I mean, perhaps they, they think this is a good way to just capture market share really quickly and get their name out there. But I was, I was surprised by this. And, it, and even at 8 million euros, I mean, that's, they only have like 12 riders under contract or even rumored to be potentially being resigned, resigned with that team. A lot, all their best riders left, like Michael Wagren going to EF. I don't really know who they're going to have left. And then just to fill out that roster, that's going to be a lot of guys on the UCI minimum, which is 40,000 euros a year. And then you get maybe seven guys at, I mean, a, a really top level rider is going to cost you a million euros a year. So they don't really have a lot of room to work with there. And I'm worried their budget is just going to get eaten up filling out the roster and with, with just minimal salaries and going to races. And then no one, like, the team won't get results because that's just not enough money. The sponsors will be throwing money down the drain. It just seems like they could have done something else where they, where they actually, they moved down a level to like a pro Conti team or even a continental team. And it just becomes like an African development squad. I think they kind of lost their way when they, they brought on Mark Cavendish for a ton of money and they, they fire a lot of the African riders and it just kind of became like a vehicle for Mark Cavendish. I, I think that's, at least for me, where the team kind of lost a bit of its identity. Then it's like, well, what is this? It's just a South African-based marketing vehicle for European riders to get wealthier. I, it all seemed very... That, that was a strange decision for me. And their results have, have really fallen off a cliff then. Every rider that goes there gets worse, which is a, a problem, especially if you're going to be operating with a fraction of the budget of other teams. So... Yeah, the, it was strange story to me. I didn't expect. I thought they were just going to go away. It's strange that they have ASOS coming on to sponsor them. And but per, I mean, maybe they could be counting on the the writer market just being so depressed, uh, wages being driven down by a few teams going under that they can just bring on a competitive team at minimum wage. Uh, seems risky to me. I I've. Or it doesn't seem totally feasible to me, though. Even I do think if I was running the team, I'd have like 20 riders on minimum wage and then just seven really, really, really good riders. But they might not even have enough money for that. So I don't... And they've been bad for years. I don't really see how this is going to work. EF, EF team, I think is what they're called now. They got rid of the education first. But they haven't really signed anyone. They've signed two riders. They signed Michael Vogren last week who's a very talented writer. I, I mean, I agree with that. I think that's a good signing. High upside. He was one of the best writers in the world back in 2018. Went to NTT and hasn't won a race since. That's a great example of what happens. Writers go to that team and they just get... There just seems like they just take a few steps back. Like, I don't quite understand what's happening there, how, how that could happen. But yeah, Valgren was a great a great signing for them. But then other than that, they just have one. They've signed a, a no-name Japanese rider from a small, like, borderline amateur team. The rumor is that is just to court a Japanese sponsor. But that's desperation. That's desperation territory. If you're just signing riders to then court sponsors from that country, that means, that means like, that's your last resort. Uh, they haven't announced any other external signings other than that. And they've had quite a few riders leave, like Mike Woods, Danny Martinez, Seth Van Mark. Uh, look, there's one more. Yeah, maybe that's it. But 
they haven't been able to replenish those riders. So that would tell me that the riders with better options, Falgren was probably in a position where NTT could only offer him, let's say, forty thousand dollars a year to come back. He's probably making three to four hundred thousand euros a year currently. So I'm sure that was unappealing. And no one else wanted to take a risk on him because he has struggled for the past two years to get any type of result. And EF probably threw a, a pretty good, a, a decent amount of money at him. So he figured, hey, I mean, the team, this is my best shot. I'm going to come over. But I think most riders are worried that uh, that team is kind of famous for giving out contracts and then figuring it out later, figuring like how they're actually pay people later. I'm sure that makes riders nervous and they kind of know the playbook at this point. You might sign a contract and then it's not really worth the paper it's written on and they can just renegotiate, say, oh, we actually couldn't get the funding, so we're going to pay you half of what we signed you for. Uh, that's, I mean, in my, my estimate estimation, that's why no one, no one decent has signed there and why they're, they're struggling to even re-sign their own very good riders. I did, I guess, Rigoberto Iran, in theory, secretly signed that and then this is where it gets weird is you're hearing some guys are signing and then nothing comes out about it so that almost tells me the team is like keeping it quiet so if they have to break these contracts they don't look like we never know about it you know they don't look like as bad of guys but there's talk of a secret Colombian sponsor coming on and that's they've signed a bunch of Colombian riders, but they don't want to release it until the sponsor, they, re, they announce the sponsor. That tells me they've talked to a lot of Colombian riders about signing with them and they're telling Colombian sponsors, hey, we have all these Colombian riders. If you come over here, look, look at all these Colombian riders we have. We can make this a Colombian team. But this is, I, I think this is all just... It's kind of like a house of cards at this point. They could easily fall apart. I, I doubt there's no sponsor is signed on and then is, is waiting to make an announcement at a later date. It's just they're just desperate to get another sponsor in there, which is, I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. That's weird. EF owns the team. They're not a sponsor of the team. So EF, the company, is going to essentially pay to for a brand awareness platform for another brand that doesn't make any sense because let's say it takes 20 million euros to run the team they sell a sponsorship for 10 million they have to take their own name off then they're essentially paying 10 million euros to run a team that they can't put their name on that someone else gets to put their name on uh that's strange it doesn't make any sense to me unless ef is i mean their core business is study abroad trips for students that must be basically revenue down to zero at this point they could just be desperate to minimize any expenses and they can't walk away from the contracts currently with the team so they just have to find someone to handle any of the cost any any sponsor they can bring on minimizes their cash exposure so they're not really thinking about it strategically they just want to get these riders off their books, get this team off their books, basically as much as they possibly can, whether that makes sense or not. Uh, yeah. So yeah, don't believe the rumors. You, I mean, they could be, I believe they're in talks with a Colombian sponsor, but there's nothing signed and it's not, they're not holding things back until some later date. Um, they're probably just trying to appear to be as South American as possible to court South American sponsors. I mean, and that South American connection has worked for the team incredibly well. I mean, they almost have two 
versions of that team. They have like a public version, the publicity guys that like TJ Van Garderen, who got no results whatsoever this year. But then they also have Spanish speaking writers who, and Portuguese writers who generate the majority of the results, but are not part of the North American branding. Uh, so it makes sense for them to just kind of focus more on South America. I mean, that talent pool has worked so well for them. Um, it gets a little weird. I heard they're going to do a development team in Colombia, but Colombia has is the most doping rife amateur cycling scene in the world. So that that seems incredibly odd that they would want to get involved in that after launching as a quote unquote clean team. It makes no sense to me. I mean, what they what they're doing the right thing now. They should be identifying these South American talents and getting them out of South America as soon as possible to race in Europe. I mean, that's that's the move. So that's 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 weird. A lot of this doesn't doesn't totally add up, which tells me that none of it's finalized and it's all just kind of air they're blowing to potential sponsors. So, but that's something to keep an eye on it. A lot of, there's a lot of holes in the transfer market because of this, because there's still a ton of unsigned riders and some big names like, like Teo Gegenhardt, Filippo Ghana, Miguel Angel Lopez, Mikhail Kievkowski, Alexi Lusinko. I mean, these are great riders. Both Izaguirre brothers. Jonathan Casado. If you remember, he's an EF rider who won a Giro d'Italia stage on Mount Etna on stage three, still unsigned. So there's a lot of strangeness. Like Sergio Anau, who was on UAT Emirates. In my mind, that would be a potential target if EF was trying to court South American sponsors. They should sign. They should sign all these Colombian riders who are available, but. I think, yeah, there's a lot of, there's like a stalemate going on here, but stuff has to get decided soon. I mean, we have about a month to the 2021 season, so they, they need to hurry if they want to field a team next year. Well, that's it for this week. Um, keep an eye out for this. There's a Sunday subscribers-only transfer newsletter, um, so just keep an eye out for that this coming weekend, and it should be really, there should be some active, interesting things happening in the next few weeks on that. Um, I will be taking a break next week for the Thanksgiving holiday, so no podcast and uh, cut down newsletter schedule. But then I'll be back the next week after that. So thank you for listening. Uh, rate and review on iTunes if you enjoy the show and pass it along to a friend as well if you think they would enjoy it. So thank you for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs>